You're listening to All the Best. I'm Danny Stewart. Right now, I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and want to take a moment to pay my respect to Gadigal elders, past and present, as well as recognize that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance, and resilience for First Nations communities. All the Best recently celebrated our 500th episode. To mark this huge milestone, we're doing a retrospective. Every other week, we'll be bringing you memorable episodes from our archives, starting with an episode from 2014 called That Girl, which feels very timely right now following Roe v. Wade being overturned in the US. As this episode is from a few years ago, the language isn't inclusive of everyone who accesses abortions. And although the conversation about abortion is different in 2022, there are many ideas explored in this episode that remain very relevant today. Most of the people I've found who are ambivalent are men. And particularly the very vociferous opponents, I look at them and I think, how many women in your life are lying to you? Because, you know, this is real life for women. It's hard to nail down the numbers, but it's estimated that a third of Australian women terminated pregnancy in their lifetime. The conversations around abortion are abstract, political, and we never really hear from the women who these conversations affect. And those women are all around you. Statistically, they must be. Your friends, your mothers, your co-workers, the girl sitting behind you on the bus. I guess I'm embarrassed. I think people are embarrassed, and that's conflicting for me because I don't want to be embarrassed about it. I want to... I don't want to be that girl that had an abortion because I'm not that girl that had an abortion. When you, when you look at the statistics, there are many of those girls. So today on All the Best, we're hearing stories from those girls, many of whom have never really shared them before, except Jane Caro, who's accidentally found herself telling this story on radio before. I actually had an experience where I talked about my abortion on um, Radio 702. I was on the political forum. This is quite a few years ago now because my daughters were still in high school. And I, I, we were talking about it and the other two guests were John Brogdon, which was okay really, and the other one was Archbishop Peter Jensen. So that was interesting. And I talked about the gigantic female silence around abortion and how it's very much part of women's lives, real lives. And the men were saying usual things. John Brogdon was ambivalent but... Archbishop Peter Jensen was completely black and white. It's just wrong. And so I knew that I would have to talk about my abortion because I thought otherwise I'm colluding with a giant female silence and that's not right. And it was really interesting because I spoke up about it and talked about it and it was a deathly hush. The two men absolutely froze. And I thought, yeah, you idiots. You talk about this stuff as if it could never have happened to anyone sitting next to you. Oh, yes, it has. And it probably has over and over and over and over again. It was fine. You know, we had a civilised discussion and we... Richard Glover moved it on after we talked about abortion for a while to the final topic, which was favourite recipes from the 1970s, and mine was apricot chicken. But when I finished and left, I actually felt really frightened. I thought, oh, have I, will I get hate mail? Will I get abuse? You know, will there be people picketing my house? You know, what, 
what will be the consequences. And that night I had to go to a PMC meeting at my children's school. A couple of people rang me after and said, love what you said about Iran or whatever it was. And I said, oh, what about the abortion? And a number of people said, oh, yeah, I've had two of those. You know, (laughs) it was just completely nobody cared. But I thought maybe the PNC meeting would be different. And I went and um, the president of the PNC came up to me and said, oh, Jane, I heard you on Richard Glover this afternoon. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And she said, love that bit about the apricot chicken. This is something that came up quite a lot. The women we spoke to on the show and the women we ended up having conversations with because of the show, they felt like they couldn't share their experiences. And not because of any guilt they felt, but because of other people's expectations. I had one termination when I was 18, another one when I was 19, and the third one when I think I was 22. Can you tell me a little bit about the first time and what that experience was like? The standouts for that time was um, having a conversation with that baby's dad and just saying, you know, I'm pregnant, what do you think? And he was just like, well, look, it's not my body, so really I have nothing to do with it. But whichever situation you choose, whether you choose to abort or whether you choose to carry it to term and have it, I'm behind you 100%. When he said that, it actually really put me in the position of going, wow, what do I really want with my life? What do I want to do? Where, how, can, how can this fit in if I choose to have this baby? If I choose not to have it, what are the parameters around my okayness with that decision? Like all of this stuff, but because I knew that I was completely supported either way, felt really, um, growing up makes it sound patronising and it wasn't that at all. It was just, yeah, it was just this really independent adult space that I felt very very part of at that very second. There's many stories we didn't hear for this show. That's Heidi. She's one of the features EPs on the show. Young women who came forward later to tell us they liked the idea of the show, but they didn't tell their stories because they didn't see their abortion as a big deal. It wasn't an important story to tell for them. But you felt like you had an obligation to share yours? Yeah, it felt really disingenuous to be asking these other women for their stories and not sharing mine. A bit like Jane Caro said about joining the great female silence on the issue. But it's still a really important story to tell in 2014, just so people know who to turn to, because as it turns out, your GP doesn't always have all the answers. I walked into the doctor's surgery and she swung around from her computer and turns to me and says, so what what can I do for you today? And I, I didn't really want to just come out straight up and say, like, I need an abortion. So I said, I'm pregnant. And she sort of nodded encouragingly and started smiling at me and I felt like I had to cut her off and say but I don't want to be. And I said, are you able to prescribe RU486? And she said, I don't know, I don't think so. I was like, how do you not know that? RU486 has been called the abortion pill. There's surgical abortion, which is where you have to go to a clinic or a surgery or a hospital or something like that, and it's a a surgical procedure, whereas... RU486 is a tablet that you take that causes your body to reject the pregnancy. I thought that's what I wanted. I now realise that that would have actually been a far worse experience because it means that you have to deal with it on your own, in your own home. Despite being listed on the pharmaceutical benefits scheme at a cost of $70 and less for concession card holders, Heidi was quoted $500 by one provider, and that seems to be the norm in New South Wales, although you can access it in Queensland for under $40. 
Heidi's doctor didn't know how much she was supposed to charge, even if she could prescribe it. I don't think she had ever had anyone walk into her practice and say, I don't want to be pregnant anymore because yet she was just bewildered by it. It wasn't as though she was a judgmental doctor who was trying to encourage me to go down a certain path or trying to dissuade me from having an abortion or anything like that. She was just bewildered. When even your doctor doesn't know what to do, where to send you, or who can help you, you can end up making choices you perhaps might not have. Dawn's Australian, but she had an abortion while she was living in the UK. After I finished studying, I stayed in the UK because I fell in love. And I had had an email from UTS saying that I need to go back to study. So I decided to go back to finish studying. You know, I'd booked the ticket and everything. We found out that we were pregnant and it was a massive shock and unexpected because we were using contraception at the time. It just was never really an option to keep the baby at all. Absolutely wrong timing. Could not have been worse. I think the process is quite different over there to here in that you go to a family planning clinic. They, you know, rung and booked appointments for me at the scanning clinic and then booked appointments for me for the abortion clinic as well. So I didn't really have to do anything myself. And also it's free over there. Everything is free. Everything. And so that was a massive, it was not even anything to worry about. It was just a decision and you just went ahead with it. There was no financial burden. One of my friends who's a nurse, I spoke to her about the experience when I got back and she said, oh my gosh, I can't believe you had the tablet, which is the more horrendous one I found out in hindsight, where you're really, really, really sick. It literally takes everything out of your body and you're sick for days. You're so sick. It's like a anti-pregnancy hormone tablet that you take and it stops the hormones going being fed down to the baby and the nurse said that it's worse than period pain and I've had bad period pain before but it was nothing like that it was something else entirely in that within taking it within 20 minutes I was starting to feel sick and I had to catch the train back from Brixton to Tooting Beck which was in South London and catch a bus as well to my house my friend took the morning off work to come with me, my flatmate, and she couldn't go to work. She had to stay with me because I was just so sick, vomiting for like hours and hours. And then, um, yeah, and then everything else coming out in the toilet. There was follow-up procedures and they called you to make sure you were okay and everything afterwards. He said, you know what, because I said that I was going back to finish university, he said, I think, you know, for you, you're making the right decision. You're an educated intelligent smart woman and you are making this decision because you know that it would not have been the best choice to to bring a child into the into the world right now so it was a liberating experience in a sense as well feeling that I really was making the right decision for me but post that's when I really suffered there was a giant amount of stuff happening in my life at that time I'm packing I'm moving I'm sorting all of my documents out. I'm about to leave my boyfriend, but then once I got back to Australia, my hometown at my parents' place, <laughs> trying to go back to Sydney, I just, I had an absolute breakdown, an absolute breakdown because there was just so much stuff that I was having to deal with all at once. So it was 
the shittiest time, definitely. But that wasn't just because of having the abortion. It was a combination of a lot of things. But the, the predominant thing was definitely the abortion. So when I got back, I did silly things like look in my mum's book of how big the baby was when it was nine weeks, if we can even call it a baby, and just thought about whether it would be a boy or a girl or would engage with ideas for names and things like this, you know, um, really kind of tortured myself. I did punish myself. It's funny when I have told friends or even co-workers, they will often tell the story of how they've had an abortion as well. As soon as I start talking to people about it, they'll talk about a sister or themselves or someone. So you instantly have a bond with that person sharing that story, definitely, because you understand each other. I had a conversation I remember in Alice Springs at the Woolworths checkout with a checkout chick who brought up a termination she just had a couple of days before and we just got talking and it was awesome and I was like oh my god finally like there's someone who's really open about it and but we're all just having a perfectly reasonable chat about how you can be in life and I don't push it but if it comes up I'll definitely talk about it. But Kerr says she doesn't always get such a good reaction. They couldn't ever possibly imagine killing another life or you know, something. So really big statements like that. I've seen people go quiet because of those. But, yeah, generally I just witness people being happy that there's airtime for it and also curiosity. You know, that beautiful thing that women share of all of these huge and amazing things that happen with our bodies, what it feels like even to be pregnant or what were the contributing factors and what did it actually feel like when you just had it done and was it painful and what did you feel like after? And Yeah, I think there's an innate curiosity and knowledge kind of sharing that we do all the time, especially around babies and our bodies because it's huge. One of the other things that came up, particularly for the younger women, was this sense of wonder that their bodies really could produce a baby, but they felt they weren't allowed to express that wonder and that there wasn't any room for doubt. Jen was much older when she decided to terminate a pregnancy, in fact, she already had four kids and she had plenty of doubt. One of our producers was actually working on another story for today's show and that's how we came across Jen. So I went home and told my mum about this episode that we were working on for this show and it was sort of a little bit deliberate to see what she would say and she quickly indicated that she would be interested in, in speaking to me for the show. I did find out about it by accident about 10 years ago but it's not something we've spoken about in detail. We agreed that before she sat down and, and spoke to me about it on tape that she would tell my sister who didn't know. So we did that and then the three of us sat down and, and we spoke about it. Okay, so at first you were excited. Very excited. And then at what point did doubt start entering your mind? Mm, mostly about a week, week in week, wondering what I'm going to do, bearing in mind I always thought I was going to have more children, like as a little girl, I was going to have a quite a large family. But at, after my youngest, I, my husband and I made a decision that even though babies are lovely and don't cost very much, they all grow up. My principles in child rearing was a conflict to me. What does that mean? I meant, well, I stayed home with the other children and if I was going to have these children, I'd be staying home with this baby. I must have got gone to my GP. I must have got a referral went to my gynecologist, he confirmed the pregnancy, 
he at that stage told me that he no longer delivered babies and I remember very carefully clearly asking do you do terminations and he said yes so you'd sort of already made up your mind I hadn't ma- I hadn't made up my mind I I was in no I was in limbo at that stage trying to work out what was best for for us were you talking about this with dad at the time I was where did he stand on it his response was always I'll do I'll support you in whatever decision you make Okay, so the decision was mostly on you? Absolutely, it was on me. Oh, before then, actually, I found out they were twins. So that then actually made it much harder for me. Because, again, every childhood fantasy for a little girl, you want to have twins. So here was, was all coming true for me. I remember the night before the termination, I was looking for signs of <laughs> a reason of why I shouldn't have it done. If Pat Cash won Wimbledon, well, don't do it. You know, I was doing stupid things like that. I was up all night and I'd started to fast because I was having a medical procedure and I just had to do it. It was like it wasn't about me and my fantasies. It was about the rest of my family. So I just had to do it. I wish I was, I wish I had more faith in myself. I've never heard you talk about faith or God or anything really, yet when you talk about this, that sort of creeps in. Does it? No, like, you know, the Catholic upbringing, there's no Catholic. I, you know, I don't think so, but who knows, you know. You're brainwashed a lot when you go to school and you're in the environment you are. And I think right up until... You know, in my early 25s, I would have thought that no way would I have had an abortion. Then after a certain age when I've lived and, I, you know, I know a little bit more about what's happening out there in the rural world. So my thinking then starts to change. In some places, people's thinking hasn't changed, and sometimes that person is your GP. Kurz had her own experience in a country doctor's surgery. I was diagnosed with having hep C when I was 19, and it was interferon ribavirin, which they give some forms of cancer patients. It's a really hardcore set of drugs, um, and I'd just come off the highest dose of 12 months. You can't be pregnant in the six months following that, and... I'd pretty much come straight off them and became pregnant. So that one was a bit funny in that I kind of couldn't have it as well because apparently if you have a baby, the birth defect rate is really high. I went to the GP to get the referral. I was still living in the same country town and the woman just looked up at me, just an older woman, probably in her 50s, and just looked at me in this kind of half surprise and just went, I can't do this for you. I can't give you this referral. I went in this whole, like, Christian tirade and I just kind of sat there for a second and was like, why? I actually couldn't believe it. Like, I've just paid you $70 for a consultation and there's no way that you're actually going to write me a referral to go to an abortion clinic. And she just said, no. 
I was absolutely furious and just went, you what? (laughs) And yeah, all I remember is my finger pointing very closely to her face and I was very loud and I remember opening the door to her office in the middle of it while I was still just on this tirade, like public proclamation of how disgusting this doctor was and if anyone wanted anything unchristian, that they should definitely go and see her. <laughs> and that's not what you're supposed to do, stridently claiming you're right. You're meant to be ashamed and traumatised about your decision, not thinking about your finances and certainly not being amused. I asked them if they bulk build and I asked them how much it would cost and I saved the number in my phone as Brittany with about three wires on the end because the receptionist was this really, really chirpy girl. She answered the phone saying the, the clinic's name and this is Brittany. So that's how I saved it in my phone because I thought I might need to call them back, but I didn't want to save abortion in my phone. I realised that I should probably tell my boyfriend. I was dreading it a little bit and I toyed with the idea of not telling him until I knew how many weeks pregnant I was because I wanted to present it as a situation that was easily resolved and that I was completely on top of and I totally had a handle on it. But then I realised that he would probably be really offended if I didn't tell him straight away. I hung out with him and all of his friends for a couple of hours and we had a few drinks and everything and then that night when we went to bed I was just really being a pest actually. Like I was was just being very annoying. I wouldn't let him go to sleep. So I kind of rolled over and I looked and I said, look, I've got something to tell you. Don't freak out. It's not a problem. I've already sorted it. And then there was this big, long pause and he's sort of looking at me. I said, I'm pregnant. And I think for a second he thought it was a joke. (laughs) So I had to say, no, really, but it's, it's okay. I've sorted it. I've made an appointment. It's fine. And then I realized that I wanted him to feel like he was part of the decision but also that he should know that it was my decision that was separate to me and separate to our relationship and separate to him that was just an ideological stance that I had but personally I wanted him to be part of it but I didn't know how to convey that properly so I gave him this weird invitation to be part of something that he was not actually allowed to be part of I gave them my name and my Medicare card and I was told to sit down in the waiting room and fill out a form. So I I walked through to the waiting room and I don't think I've ever seen quite so many shades of pink. I I don't know if it was conscious, but it was like if you were trying to create a room that felt like a womb, you guys did a pretty good job. (laughs) So the doctor came out and called my name and my boyfriend stood up to come with me and we both turned to him and said, I said, you don't have to. And she said, sorry, you can't, because that's the consultation that everyone has to have where you sit down in private with a medical professional and they go through a couple of routine questions about if this is really what you want to do and is it your decision and are you sure you want to do this? And it wasn't this weird pressure thing or anything. It was just like ticking off the boxes. And then she walked me into another room where there was a doctor and an anaesthetist and everything and they introduced themselves and I lay back on this weird sort of bed thing that really just felt like a dentist's chair they 
put the tourniquet around my arm and they were sort of pumping it up so that they could get to my vein and I was explaining to the anaesthetist that oh you might just have to lay me back because I tend to pass out when I get needles and then I realized and I laughed and I was like oh actually that's the whole point isn't it and they just kind of dismissed me I was like come on I'm making a joke (laughs) and they were just kind of like yeah right and then I just woke up a little while later we made pizza for dinner and I kept expecting to feel some sort of pain and it never really came. My boyfriend and I have talked about it since, I guess just in the context of like, it was, yeah, it was shitty timing, but if I was going to have kids with someone, it would probably be with you. And I think we got super drunk on New Year's Eve and I apologised for the whole like, this is our decision, but also just mine thing. But Yeah, I've never really talked to anyone about it since because nobody really talks about it. It's not like it's not a thing that you can just bring up in conversation. That's why, you know, I had my best friend on the phone the day after it happened and I didn't I didn't know how to bring it up. It's the sort of thing that I think a best friend should know about someone, but it's a really weird and hard thing to bring up. And I guess it shouldn't be such a weird and hard and secretive conversation to have with your best friend or your boyfriend or your doctor. When it happens to you, when you find yourself pregnant, you have no idea who you can ask or who you're allowed to ask or who you'll offend by asking. We're just not practised enough in talking about having an abortion, having a termination, having a miscarriage, having a stillborn baby. We don't grant ourselves the time and we don't create the time for ourselves to talk about this stuff. Thanks to the producers who contributed to this episode, Heidi Pett with Kate Montague, Jessica Callahan, and Jessica Binneth. Also thanks to Dawn, Jane, Kurz, Heidi and Jen for sharing their stories, which are published in full alongside extra stories on our website. It's allthebestradio.com. Our features executive producers are Heidi Pett and Jessica Callahan. Our executive producer is Jordana Caputo, and I'm Michaela Worgan. All the Best is played around Australia on the Community Radio Network and it's produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Love, love.